everybody to another episode of Manga Merrick's At Movies! Lord, what episode of At Movies do you think this is? I have no idea. Well, guess what reviews we did in this episode? Um, um... I'll give you a hint. These were recorded all the way back in March, April, and May of 2017. Uh, I mean, it could be a, uh, 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 I don't know, I just don't know! I'll give you another hint. One was a superhero movie, one was an anime movie hosted by Crunchyroll Movie Nights, and the other was an indie animated movie. Huh. Was one of them Loving Vincent? No, that was later in 2017. Um, um, Justice League? No, that was later in 2017. I'm talking about stuff that we reported in March, April, and May of 2017, we lord. Street films that have nothing to do with each other, but we recorded it on one session anyway. I don't know. Just give me the answer. All right, because we lord is pathetically short on memory. The movies that we'll be covering in this episode are Cabinary of the Iron Fortress compilation films, My Entire High School is Sinking into the Sea, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Three films that had nothing to do with each other, but we recorded them all on the same night, on the same audio file. So that is the episode we'll be giving you this week, folks. An episode we recorded back in May 2017. It took a year and a half to get out, but finally... Finally, it is out. And so, without further ado, listen to this episode of Manga Maverick's Ad Movies, number 19. About a trio of very different films, but I think we all enjoyed it. Wouldn't you agree, Relord? Yeah, they were good. Yeah. And now enjoy the review. This is Manga Mavericks at Movies. I don't know what episode number this is, but we're a show that talks about movies at home. Even though the title of the show is At the Movies. I mean, I guess we're seeing the movies at the movie theater. Yeah, and so. we're talking about them three weeks after we see them for some reason. Yeah, apparently. At least that's the case with this first one we're going to talk about. Cabinary of the Iron Fortress compilation films. Crunchyroll put that out in uh, theaters for limited release on April 26th. We, Lord, and I went to see it, and uh, we enjoyed it quite a bit. How was our theater experience? Well, I mean, it was actually half full theater. I don't think that... You know, the, 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 I couldn't get a gauge on like how into the film the audience yeah, was. Most of the people were just sitting there and watching. There like, were yeah. some laughs. Yeah, a few laughs. Generally, not as engaged as most anime movies tend to have from their audiences. But the compilation movies were a lot of fun. I thought that they were great recuts of the show. And honestly, they made me appreciate Cabinary. A lot more. Didn't you mention that they made you actually like Biba? They did. I get Biba's character now. I get what his goal is. How do you like Biba? You can't like Biba. Because I understand where he's coming from. His father, like, has basically, out of fear, 
kind of put him through hell and tried to have him offed. So, you know, he's developed this strongest must survive mentality. So he's going to like equalize the world by breaking down all the barriers and letting all the Cobinaries like uh, breaking on all the walls so that everyone has to fight the Cobinaries and no one can uh, protect themselves behind walls or like their social status or whatever. So I get that a lot better now and I'm more empathetic to those goals now. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Yeah, there were subtle details that I really appreciated that I much better understood. I think the main takeaway of the movie, though, in terms of how it tells the story, is that, you know, proper editing and pacing can really help a story. Yeah. Like, they took out a lot of the, I feel, padding from the show, like, where they, like, have this entire episode in the TV animator where it's, like, them taking a break for, like, some festival. And here they kind of just crunched that down into a few minutes, and it works fine. Yeah, they took out the entire subplot where uh, Mume killed a, preg- a pregnant woman who became a cabinary and her baby, and I was, you know, <laughs> they removed it, and I didn't yeah. even notice until I remembered that was the thing was like, that happened. Yeah, in the show. Well, well, did that happen already? And like, <laughs> oh wait, they skipped over it. Yeah, huh. so they really trimmed the fat, yeah. and they also rearranged scenes. So that the story kind of flew, flew, kind of progressed more naturally in cinematic form. Yeah. I mean, Common Area, I feel, is one of those things where, like, it suffered from, even though it was only a one core anime, it suffered from maybe being a bit too long. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the film adaption definitely recuts it in a way that's far more compact and cohesive, I feel. Yes, and I had a good time watching it. I never felt bored watching it. It was yeah. a four-hour experience of watching these compilation films. You know, they cut down the show into about a little over three and a half hours, basically four hours. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't, even though it was such a long time, I didn't feel tired at the end of it. I was totally engaged with the movies, and I think the, you know, quicker pacing, the more like expedient pacing, recut of the music, all that really helped like keep the experience engaging. Mm-hmm. So I think these compilation films are a big success in terms of retelling the story and actually improving it through the retelling. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So it, hon- it honestly kind of makes me a bit more excited to for uh, Cabinary Season 2 whenever that comes out. Yeah, probably next year. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure Tetsuo Araki's already working on it, so... Yeah, so what I can say about these compilation films, and I guess about the show in general, is that a lot of people thought the show went downhill in the second half because of the Viva stuff and they didn't really get what's going on. But I think that if you were to maybe watch it again through these compilation films and like just watch how everything happens all at once and really process Biba's character arc in like... A condensed manner and a more straightforward manner. It, like, it makes so much more sense and it's so much more enjoyable because I, I legitimately enjoyed that second compilation film that was about the second half of the show and yeah. I respect Biba as an antagonist a lot better now. I legitimately think he's a good villain. Yeah. I mean, I, I never was like super like anti Biba, but like, yeah, the film, the film adaption never really Definitely gave me a more, I guess, positive opinion of his character. Instead of him just being, like, a generic, like, super villain type character. 
Yeah. Like, he's not, like, his goals are generic. Like, he has some, he has more complexity to his character. Like, you notice, you know, when a guy is beaten on the corpse of his father, you know, he, he feels like, disgusted, he shoots the guy, yeah. and then he sits down and he's thinking about the good times he had with his dad, you know? <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> yeah, all the good times before I killed him and yeah. murdered everyone in this city, yeah. And then he does, like, help uh, give uh, Ikoma the antidote for his thing, you know, and that, that cures him from, like, becoming full carbonary. I'm still not sure about that. I think he was just stabbing him with the antidote so that his powers would wear off and then he'd kill him easily. Uh, maybe. I think there were two... He was of two minds about it. Maybe. I think he was trying to goad Ikoma into killing him. It's kind of like a Taguro situation to me. Because if, if you notice in the fight... You can see the part. You can see the part where he does stab him with antidote because that's when Nikoma starts hallucinating and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think he just did it so that he would get weakened and then Biba could just finish him off. Yeah, I think that's a fair interpretation. Overall, though, I think I appreciated the show as a whole and the characters a lot better, especially Ikoma, who I thought was kind of getting boring in the second half of the show when I was watching it, yeah. but now I kind of understand his character arc a lot better, and, like, seeing it all, the entire story all at once, like, you get how he gets to, like, point A of his character, like, ah, I want to kill the Kabaneri and, like, help people, to, like, being protective of Mume, and, like, going out of his way to be like, okay, Mume, no, you don't need to fight in this war, you know, this isn't right for you, because that's not what you really want. Like, in the... Originally, when we were, people were watching this weekly, you know, everyone was kind of like, oh, why are they making Mume a damsel in distress? Oh, why why is Ikoma mansplaining to her? <laughs> that's not that's not what's really going on. Ikoma's kind of projecting kind of feelings towards his sister, towards yeah. uh, Mume, and so he's kind of becoming, like, a protective older brother. And Mume, like, she, from where young Yege has been forced to fight, but it's not really something she wants to do or necessarily likes doing. She's just dependent on the respect of Biba, and, like, she just is doing what she's doing to, like, appease him. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a wanting for her to necessarily want a normal life. And as we can see from, like, the framing device that they have between these two films, of, like, this, there, before, like, there's this flash forward to, like, them all fighting on the train, and then there's this, and that's in the first movie, at the beginning of the first movie, and then at the end of the second movie, they, they cut back to that, and, you know, it continues where that scene left off. And also, like, has this nice animal when we're, like, uh, Ikoma Gibbs Mume, like, the pendant thing that his sister had. It was like, ah, you know, a nice, cute little yeah, moment there. Yeah, sweet. So, I think this was, I, I, I think that framing device was pretty neat. And it, it, it had a good, uh, it added something to the experience, which is good. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else we have to say about the Cabinary compilation films? I'm not sure. I mean, the Cabinary compilation films, a great recut of the TV series. Would highly recommend it. I would as well, if they are ever available in any format, like included on the... D 
DVDs or whatever. Yeah, I wonder if like Crunchyroll and Funimation are even going to release this version of it. Like, well, the JoJo compilations are on Crunchyroll, so maybe yeah. at the very least, uh, they'll maybe be like, uploaded to Crunchyroll, or maybe point. Amazon. Because Amazon is Amazon has the streaming rights. That's true. Like, I don't think that Crunchyroll Funimation can actually stream Cabinary. Well, maybe they can. Maybe they can get the secondary rights to the compilation films, like the streaming rights to those. Maybe or specifically, or they might just release it on one video. Who knows? Yeah, just Cabinary Master Collection TV series and the compilation films all in one, the definitive (laughs) collection. Yeah, Cabinary boxes that release, <laughs> but I enjoyed watching the show in theaters. I think that Crunchyroll they are planning to do more yeah. in movie nights, so I'm looking forward to what the next one will be. I hope it's. Moving on, we'll see. Talk about a movie we saw last week, not three weeks ago. Thankfully, <laughs> so that'll be a little fresher. That was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Well, I guess I'll say that I just thought it was fun. Uh, I don't know if it was better than the first movie necessarily because it's it's pretty light on plot. It's it's a pretty predictable plot, you know. Uh, old man, uh, Peter Quill's old man comes back into his life he's like oh i don't know if i can trust this guy and you know and so they go off to his home world and whatever and then yep he's he's shady he's kind of evil and you know they gotta fight him you know you've yeah. seen that plot before i mean uh, i i kind of have similar sentiments I, i'm not sure if i necessarily love this more than volume one but volume two is still very good it was a fun film but plot-wise, it's like, you know what's gonna happen from the offset. Yeah. I mean, Star-Lord's dad comes. He looks suspicious. He is suspicious. He killed his mob. Yeah. Did you know that Ego isn't actually Peter's uh, fodder in the comics? He isn't? No, he's just, like, this other, like, villain. So I, I don't huh. really know the comic lore of Guardians that much, but I do know that, that Eco isn't Peter's actual plot in the comics. So that was an interesting choice to make him that, I guess just because they wanted to give Peter uh, this, like, godlike quality, this, like, uh, he has this more divine heritage or whatever. Yeah, but at the same time, it can only be used for this one movie then, because at the end of this movie, he loses that power. That's true. Or did he? Did he come? He, he loses lose? the power. Like, that's why they have that scene where, like, he's trying to summon up, like, that blue energy stuff and it's just fading away. Uh. Because it's powered by the planet. Well, maybe he's become the planet now. That would just be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. That's a shame. I guess that was completely pointless then. Exactly. But, uh... <laughs> that, that's why I found <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, the movie's strongest aspect isn't the plot, it's more like the humor, the interaction characters, yeah. you know, things like Baby Groot you think would get old, but, you know, it was a good source of comedy throughout the movie. Ra- Rocket Raccoon and Yondu were the real MVPs, though, they provided the most 
fun sense of humor and also some of the coolest action scenes. But Sid, we can't call him a raccoon. It's against the rules. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, Rocket fighting all of Yondu's, uh, Ravager's guys in the forest, that was awesome. And then, of course, like, when Yondu and Rocket are breaking out of the cell and, like, killing off all the Ravagers that betrayed them, that was, that was the scene of the movie. That was yeah, so, that, that, that was, was so fun. That was cool. Yondu, uh, had a great character arc in this movie, I thought. Like, he, in the first movie, he didn't leave much of an impression to me, but, like, in this movie, like, he, he was the real standout in terms of, like, his character arc. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he kinda, we kind of see the softer sides to him. We kind of know why he's so protective of Peter. He is a father figure to him. And, like, there's this, you know, very emotional payoff at the end of the movie. Uh, and that, you know, that real, that is genuinely, uh, emotional, I think. Like, and was an earned moment for the characters. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And similarly, Rocket also has a good arc. Like, he's pushing people away because he's afraid of abandonment, and then he kind of learns, like, these people are his family. They aren't gonna b- betray him. He realizes that he has friends. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairy tale message done right. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. I guess things that didn't like work for me so much is uh, Gamora's sister Nebula. Uh, yeah, like, I don't. I don't really get. I mean, I get. I get basically why she kind of did a heel turn. I don't really get. I don't really buy into it as it was executed because she spends most of the movie like trying to kill or like undermine them. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> she like hunts old, down yeah. Gamera on Ego's planet. You know, when a spaceship tries to crash it into her, is shooting at her. Like, you know, they're trying. She's trying to kill her. Like, <laughs> and the, like so get they get into like an emotional fist fight or like whatever, and like then she's just like breaks down and says, "Oh, I wanted a sister all this time," and yeah. so it's like, okay. And I guess she and Gamora aren't going to kill each other anymore. Now she's a anti-hero. Yeah. I don't really... I don't know. I don't... I mean, it was pretty clear in the first movie that she's not loyal to Thanos. But still, I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't really like how it was executed here. Yeah, I just couldn't buy into it. It just didn't feel naturally developed. But, uh... Yeah, outside of that, I mean, there were fun moments with the other characters. I liked, you know, the little subplot going around with uh, Drax and Mantis. Well, that was cute. You know, that was that had some fun moments. Well, I feel bad, continually feel bad for Mantis because she's constantly being like <laughs> abused and, <laughs> and degraded. But uh, you know, she's joined the Guardians now. I guess so. We'll be seeing yeah. more of her. Maybe she'll, uh, she won't be such a pushover and gets you no know, abuse as much now that the, she's with the Guardians. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, um, outside of that, is there, like, anything else that struck you as notable about Guardians 2? I don't think so. I mean, overall, pretty standard MCU film, fun MCU film. Yeah, we were yeah. having this conversation with a friend the other day about, like, 
these MCU's films, they're like always fun, but you know, I'm feeling like they they just they're not like groundbreaking. Oh my god, amazing masterpiece type stuff. I've become consistently less impressed by them as time has gone on, and I've just you know, I don't really feel strongly about them. Well, what about Civil them. War? Civil War was good. Civil yeah. War is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> you just like it so much because Captain America beats the shit out of Iron Man. Yes, and that is the greatest thing in MCU. <laughs> you really hate Iron Man. Iron Man sucks. <laughs> if they make Iron Man 4, I will just, like, shit on it completely. I mean, Spider-Man Homecoming is basically going to be Iron Man 3.5. Yeah, but that is Spider-Man, and I like Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't like fucking Iron Man, though. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm hoping they make Iron Man for now, just so that we can watch it and then you can rant about it for uh, an hour. <laughs> that would be so bad. Or maybe you can do your own rant about the Iron Man movies some other time. You could watch them and uh, just talk about. Oh all God, them. not again! <laughs> not again! Don't want to relive the trauma. Uh, one one isn't one isn't bad. One is good. Two trash. <laughs> Three. Semi trash. <laughs> Glowing recommendations. Um, yeah, so Guardians Galaxy Volume Two though is pretty much what you'd come to expect from a MCU film. And if you like the first movie, you'll probably like this. It has the same humor. It's still pretty fun. I do think that the villain ego is actually for first rare occasion, you know, kind of interesting. Well, not interesting, but he's charismatic. Like, he, he has a presence. Like, he isn't forgettable. And you do, like, really come to hate him because he's so despicable. And, like, how casually he talks about things like, Oh, I gave your mother a cancer sore, Peter. Just so I wouldn't never have to go back and fall in love. <laughs> like, what an asshole, you know? <laughs> how did he even make the tuber, like, how does that magic one? powers, dude? The power of magic planet stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Magic planet powers that are all gone now. You know, this movie kind of is... It kind of feels, like, useless aside from uh, the death at the end. Yeah, you know, honestly, it is kind of filler. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a filler yeah, movie. Star-Lord can't use those powers, so what's the point? Yeah, like, all that really happens that is going to affect future movies probably is... The Ravagers? Yeah, Ravag maybe if the Ravagers like actually you know, the Ravagers all kind of reunite over like Yandu Sacrifice. Yeah. So maybe like they'll be their own uh, movie or oh, like uh, a Ravagers recurring. movie would be cool. Yeah, I mean like uh Sylvester Stallone, whatever characters he's playing, like he's he's he'd be cool to see uh lead an MCU <laughs> film. Yeah, that'd be cool. And like it seemed like a pretty unique, diverse little group. I mean it's like the Ravagers that's presented in this film are the original Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics. Like, that's oh. what they actually are, you know? That's the reference. So that's also would be kind of a cool little thing to see these more obscure characters get uh, get some spotlight. Yeah, that's like, the cool. Guardians, like, the Guardians were already obscure, but, like, the even older Guardians <laughs> are even more obscure. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's pre that's pretty cool. But, yeah, I'll let... Really happens is that I guess uh, Mantis is now part of the team, and uh, Yandu's probably not going to be showing up anymore. <laughs> They're going to bring back Yandu as a mech. Mecha Yandu. <laughs> uh, I don't know. 
I like that guy, so I wouldn't mind if he came back. If Thanos would be, brings it'd be him cheap, back, is it though. Milk? It'd be cheap, though, so they probably shouldn't do that. In any case, I guess that's all we have to say about Guardians Galaxy Volume 2. They had a lot of uh, post-credit end scenes, but nothing setting up future movies. Yeah. Unless, I, I think I forgot, like, at least three of them. Yeah. They're, like, they're, the one I remember is the Ravagers one, and then the one with uh, Edgy Teenage Group. Yeah, Edgy Teenage Group is going to be fun in uh, Infinity War. Unless he's aged up by then. I hope they don't, because I want to see more of Edgy Teenage Group. That's a great <laughs> idea. But, yeah, uh, lots of post-credit scenes, inter-credit scenes, all kind of meh, but no, no real, no real, uh, tinges or hints of future movie stuff. Which is, well, it's mostly just a disappointment, I you, guess. You could essentially skip this movie if it wasn't a good movie. But it's a good movie, so watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie, watch it, but it's nothing groundbreaking. It's not it's that essentially, you fi- it's essentially the filler of the MCU. Yeah, it's But a, it's, it's a good filler. filler. It's good filler. It's a, it's a good filler arc. Like, uh, it's the equivalent of G8 in One Piece, I guess. That's the only good filler arc I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the only good filler arc. It can't At least in good. One Piece, I can't think of anything else. We're sophomores now. We're like entirely new people. First edition of the year. On the news that's fit to the press. There's not much to write about at Tides High. We're a peaceful, uneventful place. Attention, everyone! Pencils down! Oof. Gross. Yeah, so let's just move on to uh, another... A film we saw very recently, so, you know, finally we're going to have more fresher (laughs) thoughts than talking about movies we saw weeks ago. My entire high school sinking to the sea, which is a uh, comedy film, animated film by Dash Shaw, that was screened last year at TIFF and was released theatrically just recently for a limited release uh, by, by the G good kids. kids. Yeah, so it's pretty. It's a pretty fun film <clears throat> that is basically kind of about these kid. This kid Dash, who is like super, like narcissistic and self-absorbed, and like he and his buddies are like working for the school newspaper no one reads the school newspaper but like he's obsessed with like purple prose and writing like really dramatically about everything and like gossip and juicy stories but then he also gets super jealous about his friend Asaf and his editor Rudy kind of getting uh, into, into a relationship so he writes like a scandalous piece that kind of shames Asaf and that like forms a rift in their friendship, and but but and you know uh, so there's some fun like the the main characters are a lot of fun, but mainly the film is kind of just a metaphor for like uh maturing like growing up I guess like it's a it's very much about teenage problems and kind of dealing with like high school it's this confusing place in your life like they literally the high school literally sinks into the sea (laughs) but it's also like metaphorical as in you know they're feeling these kids are feeling like they're on a sinking ship like they feel like they're 
drowning under the pressures of, like, the education system and social relationships. And they have to find a way to climb out of it and kind of persevere throughout, through that. And they do that by forming, like, close bonds with one another and close friendships that pull them out of it and pull them through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a good message. But the main draw of the film, really, to me, is its unique visuals. It's deliberately going for, like, a crude, uh, pencil... Sketchy look. Sketchy, uh, aesthetic. Like, something you kind of get a sense out if you were looking in a student's notebook and seeing random scribbles <clears throat> and drawings. And that's kind of the sensibility of the film in terms of its humor and its, uh, aesthetical style. Is that it's very crude. It's very, like, uh, sophomoric. And yeah. it, it, it's def, it's juvenile, but it's also like a witty kind of juvenile. Like, it's very self-aware of the fact that a lot of what it's, it's, it's sense of wit is kind of, uh, a little, a little dumb or like a little like, uh, immature. But, and that's what makes it kind of fun is because it, it, it feels like it captures like the sensibility of a teenager and like some a kind of story they would think of and a kind of crazy like scenario they would think about in terms of like creating a metaphor about their school life and how they're really feeling and kind of capturing different aspects of characters in a bunch of different social circles and like how they feel about each other and the kind of pressures they're feeling like the girl who's in the student council Mary like she you know is very dependent on her social group of friends and like kind of being with the crowd at first. And when she, and but then she realizes those relationships aren't like necessarily genuine. Like when she tries to go off and do something on her own and they don't really care about it. So stuff like that is yeah. pretty, you know, there, there's some good like ideas in here. I feel that at times though, the style is a little too unrefined. Because I can't, can't, there were times where like it was too visually overboard, and like yeah. it was like too distracting, like how crude everything is, how everything is constantly moving because there's no consistency to the character designs. You know? Yeah, and it's all intentional, like it's all an aesthetic choice, and like I really appreciate that because they do interesting things with how flat everything looks and with their color design, especially, and. I, I just, like, appreciate that kind of experimentation. Like, throw everything at the wall, see what cool things you can do. And there are sometimes, and there are oftentimes, like, uh, it looks pretty stunning. Like, that sequence in the elevator has some really great dramatic lighting with the stark blacks with some gold coloring. And that was, like, really cool uh, use of silhouettes and uh, set a really cool mood for that scene. Really, really like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of have similar sentiments there where, yeah, I feel like the visuals kind of got a bit messy at times due to how, due to the whole, like, sketchy look and what it was going for. But at the same time, there's still those great scenes like the elevator that are very, like, well-lit, these very, like, kind of dynamic type scenes. The other scene that I really kind of like is the more abstract scene where it's kind of trying to... There's this one scene where uh the main character Dash pretty much is thinks that he's gonna die and then it goes in this whole like kind of trippy sequence of like colors and stuff. 
Yeah, that was a great visualization of what, yeah. what debt kind of looks like or how to imagine, like, yeah. the idea of kind of dying. Like, I, I really like that, like, uh, visualization. It was really interesting to watch. Even though, like, it was kind of hard to figure out, okay, what are they going for at first? But then you kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, like, like oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's some, even, the animation, it can range from limited to, uh, well, it's mostly limited. It's very crude, and you know, like, a lot, like a lot you're, of it you're looks not going, you're not going to this film for the animation itself. They're going for this film for the charm and execution of its themes. I feel well, more so, I think, for the humor and yeah, yeah, like the yeah. aesthetic. I, I think this is actually going to be a great film to get high to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is the kind of film like I, I feel like. You'd find on Adult Swim or Comedy Central. Oh yeah, night, for sure. <laughs> and then you just you just watch it because it's Adult Swim yeah. needs to pick this up, yeah, broadcast like, in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> it would people would get well. so confused. <laughs> but yeah, Whoa. there's some fun characters, especially uh, the lunch lady Lorraine. Oh, she, she was cool. is hilarious, and yeah, she she was also pretty bad. She was like GI Joe, the lunch lady. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the and she's like. Kind of thinks of herself as kind of like this superhero. At the so end, she's like, pretty much Batman. She's like, yeah, she jumps off her fucking roof. The, the, the freshmen need me. <laughs> I must go to the next cafeteria. Yeah, that was great. Uh, so I enjoyed the film. I guess I it didn't live up necessarily to my expectations of it. Like I didn't enjoy it as, as much as I thought I would. Necessarily. Yeah, I mean, like. The trailers, I feel, kind of painted it more as, like, a full-up, like, comedy. Mm-hmm. Where once you get into the film, and you start seeing all the scenes from the trailer, the scenes that happen after that are kind of fucked up. Like, there's this one scene where, like, in the trailer, it's uh, Dash trying to tell this girl, like, Jump! I- I'm buff enough to catch you! And then, like, right after that scene, she does jump. Mm-hmm. But... Dash doesn't catch her, and then she literally gets eaten by sharks. Yeah, but it's she, dark she comedy. It's not like I, I, it's dark comedy. I wasn't like, expecting people to die. Yeah, I mean it's a movie called Entire High School Musical. Actually, a lot of people die. Most of the yeah, like die. pretty much everyone in the school dies. I love it when the football jock uh, Brent he he like falls off like and, and he. Onto a bus and like his entire body like splits yeah. apart like he's a doll and it's like whoa, Shit. <laughs> that was pretty great. So this film was done by Dash Shaw, you know the name he named the main character after himself, and he actually went to school of visual arts, the school I go to, as a cartoonist. Oh, so. Awesome. I really like uh, I, uh, looking up his style. You know, he's always like a mix of hand drawing and animation and uh, Photoshop. Or what, and so I think that attributes uh, to his style. And it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, he, he kind of made this film. And yeah, I, I thought it was pretty... I, you could definitely tell it was a film made by someone outside of the normal like animation circle, just yeah. being in that circle. Like this was made from an outsider perspective and like yeah, I, I got definitely got that indie cartoonist sensibility yeah. from it. So I think that's part of the appeal of the film. So even though it's not particularly like 
brilliantly animated. It's brilliantly, like, directed in terms of, like, its style, I think. Yeah. So, I enjoyed this movie. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to be able to see it, I don't think, at this yeah. point. I mean, G-Kids did say that they're playing a release on a home video, I think, so... Yeah, so... so in, a com- in a few months, it should be out, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be... That'd be I would recommend you uh, checking this out if you're into, like, kind of more abstract animated films with, like, an indie comic sensibility. I don't know if I would say that this is uh, one of the better, like, ki- kinds of these kind of movies I've seen in terms of, like, really abstract indie uh, out-there animated films. But I do think this was a really fun movie that had some cool, nice teams and it was just a fun time to watch. I disagree with, like, this guy in the theater. So, we yeah. had this Robert Heron experience for this one. But... You know, we there weren't a whole lot of people in the theater because we went to the very last showing at Lagoon Cinema, that was like a nine thirty. So there were only a couple other people in the theater, but there was one guy who was like, clearly he didn't like enjoy the movie that much. He was kind of disappointed about it. He's saying, you know, they could have just done this in live action. I disagree about that because it kind of entire... lose a lot of its charm in live action. Yeah, and the point was for this more artistic experimentation. You know, that was. Part of the reason I think this film was made the way it was, so I, I don't, I think that a similar film to this can be made in live action and be, could be interesting, but I don't think this film specifically could have been done. In when live I action. think about a lot of like even the death scenes and stuff, I feel would not share the same tone if it was live action. I th- like yeah. the girl getting eaten by the shark and then seeing like the skeleton. That's more of just, like, a crude, like, violence type thing. But if you did that live action, that would be, like, kind of actually yeah, disturbing. It'd be, it'd be too disturbing yeah. for, you know, to, to find that funny. Because the point of those scenes isn't for it to be, like, completely violent and scary. It's supposed to, like, set this kind of whole crude, like, teenager-type tone of this dramatization. Right. I mean, like, the way she gets rid of the part by the shark, it's super crude and childish. Like, something yeah. a child would write in a notebook. Like exactly. That's what the film is going for. So if you did that in live action, I would not yeah. give the same like sense. Yeah, you can't replicate that uh that that yeah. style of imagination and like way of thinking about like these kind of ideas in live action. Right. But overall, I would recommend my entire high school scene. You see, I would recommend all the movies we've just talked about. They were all pretty fun. Yeah, the films. Check them out if they're still in theaters or on home video or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that does it for this episode segment of Manga Mavericks at Movies. Thank you for being on again, Relord. Yeah, no problem. Where can the good people find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ. That is V L O R D G T Z. Um, I'm usually just lurking on there. If you want to talk about JoJo or Detective Conan or something, hit me up. And yeah, that's kind of it. You can find me, Lom Ramiyasha, at Lom Ramiyasha on Twitter, and on Animation Revolution of the same name. You can check out more of the show on allcomic.com, where you can find the entire breadth of the Manga Mavericks canon of 
podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Search for Manga Mavericks, and remember to like or subscribe our content on there to help us grow. Also, subscribe and rate us and review us on iTunes. That also helps the show grow as well. This has been whatever episode number of <laughs> Manga Mavericks at Movies, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Later.